Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. And today, we're going to be talking about the issue of mental health, as I am joined by mental health expert, Matthew Dixon. Matthew specializes in making sure that people in developing countries get access to mental health services. So we're going to be talking to him about his battles with mental health and also biking. So Matthew, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on your podcast. Much appreciated. <laughs> well, why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Sure. I grew up in Eastern Canada where I still live. I'm, I'm 50. I've been around for a while. <laughs> and when I was going to university, I didn't really feel the best. Uh, that was the early, 90, early 1990s. And I didn't know what mental illness was. We've been taught a bit about mental health in high school health class, but I didn't know what depression or anxiety or any of the mental illnesses were. And so, so I started experiencing some symptoms, and but they were relatively mild compared to what was going to come down the tubes later. And I was taking civil engineering at university and in the middle of my studies after my third year, I decided to bicycle across Canada. That trip came out of nowhere. I was not a bicyclist beforehand, you could say. I was never doing any really com competitive sports. I did play some sports, but nothing, uh, nothing. I didn't train regularly or anything like that. I did play a lot of golf as a teenager. And uh, I did some biking and running, but just more for fun more than anything else, not for training for anything. Uh, I was on the high school soccer team, but it was, we just played for a couple months in the fall and, and uh, yeah, so I, so I was in okay shape, you know, I wasn't uh, super overweight or whatever, but this article came uh, in front of me, uh, my mom had clipped it out a year earlier and uh, I was looking through it and it said, you can pedal across Canada. And it said, anyone of average physical fitness can do this trip. And within minutes of reading the article, I found myself on the phone calling for more information about the trip. And it just kind of snowballed from there. Uh, one step led to another and I ended up doing the trip in 1992. It's an organized trip. They do it each year. They came through Canada, Canada this year too, uh, in 2022, it's called tour to Canada. And anyone can sign up for that if they've got the money. Uh, I don't know what it is now. When I did the trip, it was $2,000 Canadian to do the trip. And I think it might have tripled now. It might be $6,000 or something. Uh, there's a truck to carry your gear and everything. So I had a really good time on that trip. Although I wasn't feeling the best. I could still do stuff, though. I was getting mostly A's in engineering. After my trip, uh, bike trip, I did uh, join the, the university rowing team. And I did a triathlon after that. Uh, I was living on my own independently. I could still do all this stuff, but I just wasn't feeling the best. Uh, one of the first symptoms to hit me in my first year of school engineering was uh, just sort of low on energy. 
The next year, I started to feel blunted emotionally a little bit. Uh, the next year, uh, the, the third year was sort of more of a trippier thing. I, I felt like I, uh, I could only see things in two dimensions, not three dimensions. And it may sound trippier than it really is. It was a little bit trippy, but uh, a lot of people say it's like uh, they feel like they're watching television. You can't interact with the people on the screen. On a Zoom, you can to a certain degree, <laughs> but in a TV show or a movie, you can't interact with the people on the screen. And that's how I sort of felt, just get disconnected. And anyway, so I was feeling that way when I did my bike trip across Canada. So I could still do stuff, but uh, anyway, when the disease hit, it hit really hard. I was diagnosed with schizophrenia in 1994, uh, just before, uh, I'd gotten all, almost all of my schooling done. I had to fail out of the last term of my last year of school to go into the hospital in the psych ward. So, yeah, that was the start of a, a long journey. Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, oh, no. Do you have a question? I can. Well, what I was going to ask is continue talking about your experience that, that you experienced when you uh, realized that you had schizophrenia. Okay. Yeah, so I, it's very, it's it's confusing. Uh, one of the symptoms of schizophrenia is disorganized thinking. Um, some people have uh, delusions. They may think that the CIA or the FBI is spying on them through their phone or the TV or something. I was never like that. I I knew what was going on. I I had. When the disease hit, it hit really hard. I went from muddling through life to a certain degree to just flat on my back, incapacitated, not knowing whether I was going to live or die from one moment to the next. It was terrifying, really, it was. And I knew at the time, as bad as that pain could be, I knew there was worse pain that I could feel it at any given moment. I didn't know what it was like to have my legs cut off or give birth or all sorts of things. All I knew was the pain I was feeling was a combination of severe pain to a certain degree over a long period of time. I remember thinking if this lasted for two weeks or even two months, I'd be able to handle that. It wouldn't be as big a deal. But when they start talking about years of your life, for me, in 1994, I, I questioned myself, uh, you know, whether this fight was worth it. And anyway, out of the blue, I, I don't know why I, I was debating what I should do. Should I fight this or just give up? And out of the blue, I said, you know what? I, I want to fight this. I don't know where that came from. I It just came almost instantly. I just want to fight this. I want to get through this. And I, yeah, so uh, very, I was thankful for that. And I do want to say on that note, um, they've done... It's well documented, well documented now for people who've uh, attempted suicide and survived. Many of them say afterwards that they instantly regretted it. Uh, Kevin Hines, he's a suicide prevention advocate. He jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and survived. He still has suicidal thoughts to this day, but he says he knows he will never take his life because when he was standing on the bridge, he was thinking, I, I want to die. This is it. There's no hope for me. And this is it. This is what I want to do. And his brain went in an instant, the instant after he jumped and there was no turning back, he said, I want to live, I want to live, I want to live, I want to live. And it, many other people say the same thing who've, who've been in the same situation. 
So that's one of the things I try to tell people is your brain can be telling you things and they're just not true. You can keep going. Navy SEALs. Mark Devine has a book called Unbeatable Mind. He's a Navy SEAL. He's created and trained thousands of Navy SEALs. And they're taught in their training that you are capable of 20 times more than you think you are. They're taken to the brink of physical and mental exhaustion in their training. And they say, I quit. I can't give up. I can't move another muscle. I can't move another inch. And someone comes up to them, their trainer, and says, you think you're done? You've got way more left in you than you think you do. You don't have 5% more or 100% more. You've got 20 times more than you think you do. And then they're shown that in their training. They say, get up, keep moving. And then they keep moving for hours after that. It's remarkable what when our brain decides to shut down. Actually, there's a really neat test about this. They've uh, that uh, Psychologists have done studies. They take people who are lying on the couch who feel who just don't want to do anything. They say, do you feel like doing this or this or this or this? And say, no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm tired. I'm, I'm just mentally drained. I just want to lie here. And then what they do is they come up to them and they say, well, how about uh, doing uh, 20 push-ups? Nope, nope, nope. But in this instance, they say, we'll give you $100 if you do 20 push-ups. And just like that, out of the blue, all these people who do this test get energy right out of nowhere. And they say the brain has this sort of self-defense mechanism that shuts us down when really we have a lot left in us, but our brain thinks we are tired and we just need to rest when really we don't. We, if we had to, for $100, Maybe even $20, we will get up and do some push-ups. <laughs> so uh, actually, I've tried that myself. I've, I, if, uh, I just raised the price. If I really don't feel like doing something, but I would like to do it, I just raise the price. And I'm amazed at how quickly it works in me. I've raised the price to $1,000. Sometimes I say, you know what, $1,000, I would, I would like to do it, but not for $1,000. Not today, not now. I'm dead tired. And I've raised it to 10,000, 100,000 million. I think I got out of bed one day to go to work. I, it is a day I really did not want to go to work. And I got out of bed for like something like 10 or $100 million. <laughs> but when I had that thought, I thought, like, for example, 10 million. Ah, would I get out of bed for $10 million? No, no, I wouldn't. Not today. 100 million? Okay, okay, I will. And the instant I think that, Within a second, I'm up and moving. I'm amazed at how quickly that works. So anyway, that's just, uh, you are capable of a lot more than you think you are. And for those struggling with mental illness, it's, I know how tough it is, but even when we're sick, we still do have more in us. And I wish I, I could remind myself of that sometimes because I don't always think to do this $100 or $1,000 or $10,000 test with, with me. Sometimes I forget to do that, so... But anyway, uh, with schizophrenia, 75% uh, of people with schizophrenia have hallucinations. I never did. I, I was in the 25% that didn't. And I never had any problems with substance, substance abuse. Uh, I was lucky that way. I, I didn't have to deal with that. I, had, I never had any inclination to take anything despite all the pain I was feeling. I, yeah, it's uh, so... I got on a medication uh, I, that worked. This was 1994. It's an antipsychotic, and I, I've stayed on it. I've noticed an improvement in my health every single week for many, many years. 
and it was February of 2021 and my symptoms just stopped. If you plotted my progress on a graph, it, it would just be a long, slow, steady line up over 20 plus years. And today I'm feeling pretty, pretty good. I'm enjoying my life. I have ups and downs throughout my day, but they're in the normal range of thoughts and emotions. And I'm very happy about that. There's a book called The Survivor Personality by Al Siebert, S-I-E-B-E-R-T. And he says that people who've gone through, he, he studied people who've gone through the Holocaust, natural disasters, cancer, alcoholism, all sorts of things. And he studied how did you get through it and thrive on the other side to boot. And he said they all said the same thing. He said they all had different ways of getting through it. They were all very unique, that whatever their challenges were. But he said they all said the same thing. They all said, I would never, ever, ever want to go through that again ever in my life. It was horrible. But that was the best thing that could ever have happened to me. They've learned so much. They've become stronger. They have a better appreciation for life. They're more confident. They get more out of life. They're happier. And there's actually a, well, there's a field called post-traumatic growth and it's how to get growth from, from trauma. And they say it doesn't have to be from violence or physical trauma. It can be what they call a seismic event in your life where your views of your views of the world are shattered and you can rebuild those views and incorporate your trauma into it. And you can become, you can just become stronger. It's called post-traumatic growth. And there's a book on it called what doesn't kill us by Stephen Joseph. There's actually a field called post-ecstatic growth, which is a way to get growth, but without trauma or, or horrible things, but from ecstasy, um, not the drug, but, but from things that are quote unquote pleasurable, like uh, running a marathon or, uh, all, I mean, some people would say the last thing I would think of as pleasurable is a marathon, <laughs> but uh, there, there are ways to get growth from doing things uh, the, uh, from, from post-ecstatic growth. So, yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about why why you decided to help people in other countries with mental illness. Yeah, so a lady saw me my worst year in 1994. She saw me walking down the street and she said, I looked like I was walking through a world of flying glass. And I remember thinking, yeah, that's right. Thanks for noticing. That's exactly how I felt. I felt like I was being shot at. Uh, I mean, I, I knew I wasn't, I, but it's just this fear, this uh, that every step could be my last. Um, it's a very, it's very scary, uh, not knowing whether you can do things. I, I spent many years thinking, can I do this? I don't want to do this. This is going to hurt, but I wanted to keep fighting. I wanted to keep going, and I wanted. I, I had hope, and I didn't give up on hope. It was. Uh, it didn't. I. I, I don't mean my life wasn't easy in some ways. It was, I had times of doubt and whatnot, but uh, you just, one thing I want to tell people is the first bit of schizophrenia can be tough, but with treatment, the pain can come down to a more manageable level. And yes, it may not go away right away, but it can, it, it lets you fight for longer. And it, it uh, yeah, I just wanted to tell people that. But anyway, so the whole time I went through it, though, I went through schizophrenia in a, a sleepy, sleepy town, sleepy part of Canada, a peaceful country, okay mental health care system. It needs work, but it's, it, was, uh, it was okay. And 
my heart went out to people with mental illness in war-torn countries, in extreme poverty. My heart just went out to them. I had about as good as you could get it for mental health these days. Well, back in the 90s, things haven't changed a whole lot since then, but they have to a certain degree. But I, uh, anyway, it wasn't until 2017 and I saw this uh, TED Talk pop up in my uh, internet search. And it said, it was, it was by Vikram Patel. And it was talking about mental health in developing countries. And it was the first bit of content I'd ever seen on that. And I, I'd never gone looking for content on that. I don't know why, I just never had. I did for years look up stuff on mental health on the internet. But anyway, this is the first time I'd ever stumbled upon something. And so I started researching it more. And in 2018, uh, about a year later, I made my website, mindaid.ca, M-I-N-D-A-I-D.ca. And it's the first website of its kind in the world. It's got all the groups working for mental health in developing countries on one site. If you go looking for them yourself, they're scattered across the web. There are groups helping. They're somewhat small compared to the large humanitarian 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 organizations like UNICEF, for example, but they do exist. There are many of them and they're doing great work. Uh, so what Vikram Patel did back in the 90s, uh, that he ex this is what he explains in his TED talk. For decades, there'd been models of uh, how to give people basic physical care where there's no doctor for hundreds of miles around. How do you treat, a, I don't know, a fever or broken arm or whatever. And so he said, well, why don't we do this for mental health care? Why don't, why don't we make models of basic mental health care? And so he did. And now they are low cost, they're proven effective, and they are scalable. And the World, World Health Organization is trying to figure out the best way to roll them out to the masses. In the meantime, these groups have been doing it for years. And they, uh, my, my main goal is to build the capacity of these groups I found 10 that you can donate to or fundraise for. They're in the donate section of my website. In the resources section of my website, there are even more groups who you can't necessarily donate to, but that they're doing great work with awareness and other things in developing countries. And um, yeah, it's, I'd really just like to help build their capacity and make more people know their names. Some of them actually have big names uh, endorsing them. Uh, Fine Mind, they work in Uganda getting people uh, mental health care. And they have Forrest Whitaker from the movie Star Wars. His, his foundation is helping uh, fund some of their activities. Uh, Strong Minds has the singer and actress Ashley Judd narrate one of their promo videos. Uh, Bill Clinton and the band Arcade Fire, they endorse uh, Partners in Health. Partners in Health works in many countries. And... Actually, there's one thing I haven't mentioned yet. It's uh, it's shocking. Uh, I, but anyway, it's uh, there are some people. They estimate hundreds of thousands in 60 countries with untreated mental illness in developing countries uh, are actually kept in chains, physical chains. They're tied to a tree, tied to a bed, in shackles. Some of them put their foot, one foot or two feet through a log, uh, tied up in a bed in a shed and with untreated mental illness as well and in poverty too it's 
my heart just goes out to them. And so the good news on that though, is that there's a, a platform called hashtag break the chains and it's being promoted by Robin Williams son, Zach Williams, Ashley Judd, the actress from the TV show, the West wing and Tim Shriver founder of the special Olympics. They and others help promote hashtag break the chains. If you, if you go into your domain name browser thing, if you just type in hashtag break the chains where you would normally uh, put in a, a website name, uh, it'll show up. It's the actual websites, uh, it's human rights watch. I think it's hrw.org.something. Um, but if you just type in hashtag break the chains, it'll show up. Or if you go to my website, um, I've, I'm linked, I've, I've linked to it there. But they are, they're doing work to help unchain people. And it's great. They're, they've got a pledge going right now. You can sign the pledge. They're looking for 20,000 signatures. If any of your listeners listening to this now would like to go and sign that, uh, the link's on my website or go to hashtag break the chains. They're looking for more signatures to help unchain people. It's, uh, you know, some people say, well, Matthew, 100 years ago, there were people kept in straitjackets in North America in insane asylums. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. But uh, so the stats are there are 270 million people in developing countries with no mental health care. That's kind of like the whole US or, or almost all of the US with untreated mental illness in poverty and they estimate hundreds of thousands in 60 countries, not millions, but hundreds of thousands uh, kept in chains. So it's not all of them. It's a fraction of them, but it does exist. And uh, some of the groups, the nonprofits, those 10 that you can donate to or fundraise for on my website, they, they do work in unchaining people as well. Basic Needs does that. And so, yeah, that's... Okay, well, we got about 20 minutes left, but explain to people what eco anxiety is and let us know about that eco anxiety yeah so thanks for mentioning that i don't often get to that in some in some of my talks i uh, or my interviews i so thanks for picking that out a lot of us are worried about this uh about the environment and the fate of the, the fate of the planet and there's two books I found on eco-anxiety. There's a handful of books out there I found with that uh, term eco-anxiety in them. And there's not a whole lot. And I'm hoping there'll be more as time goes on. I'm only assuming there will. I found two in particular, in particular that really helped me ease my worries about the fate of the planet. And uh, one of them is Catherine Hayhoe's uh, Saving Us. H-A-Y-H-O-E is her last name. And the other one is Ellen E-L-I-N Kelsey. And that book is called Hope Matters. And the testimonial to Hope Matters, uh, there's a testimonial by Jane Goodall, the environmental advocate. And they've, they've helped me so much in just thinking more positively, like we, we could do this instead of doom and gloom. Catherine Hayhoe says that when she gives talks to people, she asks them, can you picture a positive scenario for the planet? Nobody can. Can you picture a, an apocalypse or doom and gloom scenario? And many of them can. And we, we as people have a hard time picturing a positive scenario. So one of the things she says is it's been proven, scientifically proven, that when people 
no matter what the topic, are submitted to a bombardment of negative stories about something with no call to action at the end, people become apathetic. It's not a given. I'm sure some people don't. But many people become apathetic. And that's what's happening with the news about the environment. We're bombarded by so many negative stories about it with no call to action at the end. And people young and old are becoming apathetic, thinking, what can I do? Me, just one small, tiny individual in this massive world, what, what could I possibly do to, to save the planet? And she says, no, it, it's not like that. There are many things you can do. And one of the things is to help combat this apathy is to monitor yourself when you're consuming news. Or, or anything. It's at, she, she says, ask yourself two questions. Is this a positive or negative story? So you become more aware of what you're watching. Uh, positive stories can make you less apathetic, negative, more apathetic. The second question is, is there a call to action at the end? Some way I can help. If there isn't, you're, less li you're more likely to become apathetic. If there is, you're less likely to become apathetic. So those are the two. Is this positive or negative? And is there a call to action at the end? And that way you can become more conscious and be more, because a lot of the time we don't pay attention to our, our thoughts and our feelings as, as much as we could when we're uh, listening. I mean, sometimes news can be on the background or, or somebody's voice can put us in a bad mood. We're not always paying attention to our emotions throughout the day. And, you know, why do certain things make us feel a certain way? And, uh, but she says, so Catherine says the biggest thing anybody can do to, to help the environment is to simply talk about it. She says, believe it or not, she says, believe, even before putting up solar panels and driving electric vehicles, talking about it, having conversations, that is her number one goal for people to, to do. And I argue, I mean, in, in this day and age, anybody can have a website or blog up for free in minutes or social media up for free in minutes or a YouTube channel up for free in minutes. There are ways to, your voice can change other people's attitudes. And I'm trying to do that for mental health and also for eco-anxiety because like many of us, we're all concerned about the environment. And plus with eco-anxiety, it's more of a, a theme for me that the mental health part of it. And I'm just feeling so much more positive about it because, and I forget which author says this, but they say a lot of people think that the environment is like this boulder and we have to roll it up to the top of this big hill and then let it roll down the hill to solve everything. She says, really what we've done for decades, there have been millions of people working on the environment behind the scenes, sometimes out in front, but there, it's not like something we haven't even started. We've been working on this for decades and the boulder, she says, is actually already on the hill. It's actually rolling down the hill with hundreds of millions, if not billions of hands pushing it downhill. She just says, I think it was Catherine Hayhoe who said this, this analogy. She said, it's just that we need, the, the boulder has to be rolling about 10 times as fast. And she doesn't explain where she gets that number 10 times. I'm assuming it's somewhat random, uh, but maybe somewhat accurate. And, but it's, uh, yeah. So the other thing I try to tell people from what I've learned from these books is most of the country, most of the countries in the world, their governments are acting on climate change. And they've, it's not like most of the governments aren't doing anything about it. They're all trying to work on it. 
and lower our emissions into the atmosphere. And uh, many people, some people don't believe in it and that's, that's fine, uh, and, but the majority do. And I believe it's just a matter of time. Um, I think there'll be a tipping point where things will just uh, happen even faster. Uh, we've seen tipping points before in life. Malcolm Gladwell has a book about it called The Tipping Point. And I believe it's just a matter of time and we will take action and we will do the right thing. And uh, one of the authors says, there's not one single person on the planet who knows what's going to happen, not one. And what, one of the things I try to tell people is, well, going back to that doom and gloom apocalypse scenario that most people can picture and, and people can't picture a positive scenario, well, look at Olympic athletes. They, they spend hours in their training daily. I don't know about hours each day, but at least an hour maybe perhaps visualizing. They go into the dark, they close their eyes and they visualize their perfect performance over and over and over for years. They, they visualize themselves getting the gold medal around their neck. Can we as civilians concerned about the environment, work on visualizing that we actually will actually will do this. We'll get emissions down. We'll, we'll do the right thing and stop species extinctions happening so fast and preserving more, more of the land. They estimate uh, we need 50% of the land and 50% of the oceans preserved by 2050 with an immediate goal of 30% of each saved by 2030, 30 by 30 and 50 by 50. And governments are working on this. They're keeping track of how much is preserved. And uh, Jane Goodall and David Attenborough, they talk about the amazing resilience of nature. We saw that in the pandemic with, with was it Venice? The, the waters, just uh, uh, porpoises or whatever they were coming back into the waters. And we've seen this. It, it can have, they, they talk about the amazing resilience of the planet. We can do that. It, it, we can picture it in our head. We can picture it if we try. If we try, we can work on it. And that's what I'm encouraging to do is uh, uh, visualize this stuff, spend some time talking to people about it and taking action, being conscious of the news you take in. And I, I still to this day, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, sometimes I think, well, maybe it won't happen, but I'm more positive about it. I don't worry about it as much. I'm thinking I do what I can. I, I try to do my best for the environment and no one can do everything perfectly for the, for the environment. No one can. And sometimes we feel guilty about things we're not doing well. You know, I shouldn't have driven so far today in my car or I shouldn't, you know, I didn't recycle that plastic bag or there's so many things we could be doing for the environment. We all do. Well, most of us, I would say, do some things for the environment and pat yourself on the back for that. That's, that's huge. It's uh, we can't do everything. There's always going to be, shopping decisions you make with that have a bit too much plastic packaging and uh, just do your best and watch your stress levels, do what you can and pat yourself on the back, give yourself a big hug, congratulate yourself. Uh, it's uh, for, for doing some things. It's wonderful. And just keep going. Try to enjoy life. I, I know this might sound a bit, uh, I'm, I'm not, not unprofessional, but it's uh I really do think of the, the Who's down in Whoville with the, the Grinch stealing Christmas, the Dr. Seuss book. Just before the Grinch is about to steal Christmas, the Who starts singing. They're not crying out, oh, how can you do this? How can you steal Christmas of all things? They start singing. They really just start singing. At some point, you just have to enjoy life. You really do. And as kids growing up in the world, we didn't know all the problems of the world. We just enjoyed life. When we start learning about problems, we forget that. 
but try to start singing. Just enjoy life, knowing that you can do the best, knowing you're doing the best you can, and everybody else is trying to do the best they can too. And just have hope, and try to think of a positive future, thinking that we will do this. Don't try. I mean, I'm trying to learn how to visualize more about a positive, a positive environment too. I'm not great at it. This is sort of a new thing for me. And but I'm I'm trying to encourage you, like to spend more time thinking about actually doing this. And when you have that more positive attitude, that can rub off on other people and, and inspire other people. Anyway, I made uh, an article on eco-anxiety. The link is on my, uh, if you go to minda.ca in the about section, there's a link to all my links on Linktree. And there's a link there to my eco-anxiety article I wrote on my medium.com platform. And I've made some YouTube videos on eco anxiety on the Mind Aid YouTube channel. So it's, uh, if you, uh, yeah, there's a bit more information there about that. But that's, those are some of the highlights that I like to tell people. Sorry, that's a bit long about eco anxiety, but I don't get a chance to talk about that much. So, so thank you. <laughs> oh, I completely understand. We, we got about uh, five minutes or so left. So close us out with some final thoughts and tell us about any upcoming projects uh, real quick that you might be working on that people need to know about. Thanks. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm, if you want to find me, mindday.ca, there's my YouTube channel. I've got videos on my own experience with schizophrenia there, general mental health tips, and then videos about mental health in developing countries. There are, I've got a bunch of playlists there for videos. If you want to learn more about what's going on with mental health in developing countries, one of the biggest things, like and I'm taking a cue from uh, Catherine Hayhoe in this and getting people to talk about the environment. I'm getting people to say, if there's one thing you can do to help me out, and well, not just me, but millions of people with mental illness in developing countries is share mindy.ca, the website, in any way you want. Uh, with po some of the posts I've got on Facebook, I'm on all the social media channels, most of them anyway, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube, and if you want to share anything, any of my videos or posts or my interviews, if you want to share this interview, please do. <laughs> or I've got a, a playlist on my YouTube channel of all my other interviews that I've done on YouTube. Actually, I don't know if this will go to YouTube. I don't know what you do with this, but uh, with this uh, platform. But uh, anyway, it's uh, just sharing stuff is, is huge because uh, I believe that if millions of people knew that there were ways to help people with mental illness in developing countries, so many people would want to help. So many people would want to help. We've been buying goats and drilling wells and building schools for people in developing countries for decades. And some people say, yes, we should keep the money closer, closer to home. But the, that debate's been going on for decades. It won't be resolved anytime soon, as far as I know. And I'm just thinking people have a right to donate to whoever they want in this world. It's a free country. And um, yeah, I'm, I just encourage you to, to help people there and because they really need it. I've, I've been through horrible things and I'd like to make that possible for other people to, to get through this. And there's ways, these ways are low cost, proven effective and scalable, these models of basic mental health care and to help somebody who's lying there, maybe even in chains, thinking, please make it stop. Please just somebody help me. Please, please, I want to feel better. And you could do that with a simple donation. I mean, uh, nonprofits now, they often accept, and some of the ones on my website are, are like this too, 
They accept donations as low as three, $3 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month, just very low. They're easy on your pay, on your pocketbook. They're also easy, they're easier for the nonprofits to plan for the year and budget when they get regular donations in each year instead of random one-time donations. That's why Netflix and Spotify all have monthly subscriptions. They just work better. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Um, uh, one final word um, to keep going. If you're suffering with mental illness or maybe you're going through some other challenge in life, not related to mental illness, just keep going. I want you to know that there's so much more you can do and hope is possible. It's, uh, there's, it's, there's just so much out there. I, I call it hope beyond hope. When you think you're done, there's other things in life called luck or, or the universe, whatever you want to call it. There are other things keeping you here and they want you here. They want you to survive and keep going. So, and, and if no one else is there for you, I am. I know I don't know you, but I just want to say that anyway. I'm here and I'm rooting for you. Even if I don't know you, I just want to say that. Keep going. Keep going. Because someone has to say it to you. Someone does. And, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm rooting for you too. Make sure you definitely share this interview. And if you would like to help out with mental illness and underdeveloped countries, go to Matthew's website and chip in. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. This is a real pleasure. Appreciate it. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.